0: pray as we begin to open up this uh, Thanksgiving message and this um, text that will prepare us in a biblical way to think about this season, Thanksgiving, in a biblical way and Lord willing um, help out um, us either now or in the future for some of those struggles that come very often Uh, even in the lives of believers, temptation toward anxiety and worry. Let me pray as we begin to open up this text together. Father, we thank you. Lord, we do look to you with great expectation this morning as we take a break from going through the book of Ephesians to prepare our hearts to be encouraged and built up challenged and prepared to defend against the temptation toward anxiety. No greater time than a season of thanksgiving. For those who know you in a saving way who have been bought with the shed blood of Christ and belong to you to have Spiritual things flood our minds when we think about all that that we can and should be thankful for. So help us to be molded and shaped and equipped for that very thing for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thanksgiving, the secret weapon for anxiety. No, I'm not talking about turkey or pumpkin pie. Those things bring joy to many of our hearts. Um, There is something bigger that we are going to focus on and see sort of drawn out of this text this morning. Philippians 4, beginning in... Verse 4. The Apostle Paul says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But... Whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, the expectation for rejoicing, for celebrating in the Lord, is a reasonable expectation that is aimed at those who belong to the Lord. It's... So often repeated in the scriptures because it is and should be a natural part of the Christian life Now that doesn't mean that it isn't intermixed with other struggles that derail us from the joy that derail us from the celebration that derail us from the rejoicing No doubt that is a part of the Christian life and even it's a part of the Christian life as displayed even in the life of Paul when he communicates some of his struggles in the ministry. And so, no, it is not a life of ease and puppies and warm hugs. There's some struggle. But rather than this emotional disposition being disconnected from truth, Paul very clearly connects the place from which this rejoicing comes to the truth that informs our heart and our mind to continue us pursuing that joy. That is a fight for rejoicing. It's a battle for obedience to rejoice in the Lord. We see calls to rejoice and to celebrate the Lord and all we have in Him. Many of those being in the Psalms. Psalm 34, verse 1 I will bless the Lord at all times, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 2, Psalm 34 My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the Hi. humble hear be glad Psalm 145 verse 1 and 2 I will extol you my God and my King and bless your name forever and ever every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever and rather than this being some kind of absolutely impossible state of delusional rejoicing where there's never a struggle, the reality is this is just a place that every believer to include the psalmist fights to get back to. I need to get back there. This is where I should be. And everything else outside and everything internal in my own mind and heart would seek to derail me from this disposition, from this home base to be extolling the Lord and blessing his name every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever so the, the, the earnest plea of the believer is to say get me there and keep me there Even in the midst of great difficulty, Paul knew this. I love this scene in Acts 16, the Philippian jailers converted. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Where? From prison. Boy, I hope that I don't have to experience that. (laughs) But, like, just brutal honesty, um, prayer and singing hymns to the Lord, I think, is going to be a struggle if that's ever a situation that the Lord puts me in. There they were in prison, singing, praising the Lord, and the prisoners were listening to them verse 27 when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped Paul cried out with a loud voice do not harm yourself for we are all here and the jailer called for lights and rushed in trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas and they brought them out and said sirs what must I do to be saved Amazing? Like, what was God doing there? Through great trial and a temptation toward worry, fear, anxiety, by God's grace, a right response to worship and praise the Lord was used by the Lord to advance his kingdom and draw a sinner out of darkness into his glorious light. Whoa. So, you mean you're telling me that? God actually puts us in situations where he, we can be used by him. How we respond to that situation for an opportunity to communicate truth and his glory to others that he might be working on to draw to himself. Yes. And the testimony of that is right there in scripture. And many, many countless others. 2000 years of the history of the church and he would seek to do that with you and I believer like quite simply we are exhorted to be joyful to fight for joy to fight for the celebration that ought to be natural to believers And, and Paul is not just merely saying you know like suck it up and be happy and some of us in an effort to want to be biblical and say helpful things have come at the wrong time and sort of misunderstood what's being said here where someone's going through some hard things and it's like, hey, you're supposed to be joyful. It's like, stop that, not helpful. Because there's a larger context of what Paul is saying. It is not just suck it up and be happy. Don't worry, be happy. But there's a context in which believers ought to understand the reality of who they are and whose they are, to whom they belong, that gives us a right mind and heart attitude to be able to fight for that joy. Notice what Paul says. He doesn't just say, Rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Our rejoicing as believers is inseparable with the Lord. Not just from Jesus Christ, but something particular about him. The word Lord there, kurios, means master, leader, owner. When we read Lord, we ought to be reminded that the one being talked about is the sovereign one. He's in control. He is leading us. And we can joyfully, gladly submit to his leadership. Rejoice in the Lord. Not apart from him, but in that reality that he is master, leader, the sovereign one. He is ruling and reigning and working out his good and perfect will. And he knows the end of this thing that we are in. It's a reminder that Jesus is in control. I tell you what, I'm, I'm sure that those things were on the lips of Paul and Silas in that jail as they were praising God. Though we may be in jail, God is sovereign in all of this. He is in control and he's brought about this moment for his good and perfect will. And then you see the fruit of that, the Philippian jail jailer being saved. Incredible. Not only are we told to rejoice in the lord but he says always always and once again that that is that is not a reality that is something that any one of us can do but it is a call to fight to get to that place there's going to be times when that rejoicing is easy. And there's going to be times when that rejoicing is not easy. Mm-hmm. When things are going smooth, rejoicing is easy. God is so good. Why is God good? Because this and this and this happens. It's like, wow. What about when things are not going good? This. So oftentimes when things are not going good, Paul gave us this qualifier, always, always. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because God is sovereign not only in the bright times, but the dark times. God is sovereign not only in the good times, but in the bad times. And he is working out his good and perfect will. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, 17, and 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. We saw this text quite some time ago when we worked through James, but in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, As we work through a a biblical worldview in the midst of trials, James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why, James? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So he's saying even in those hard times that tempt you and stress you and bring about anxiety, that your faith is being tested, and that is a good thing for you because it increases your resolve to rest and trust in not what you know, but what God knows, not what you do, but what he has already done. One more time Paul says again I will say rejoice it's a good deal he repeats it twice rejoice in the Lord always and in case you missed it again I'll say rejoice like I think he wants us to know something <laughs> rejoice and then in verse 5. We get kind of this idea of gentle tolerance. Well, why, why have I put that in our notes? Gentle tolerance. That word, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, is a word that that communicates this idea of gentleness. Let your gentleness be a characteristic of who you are that everyone around you would say, this is what I see. That that is a gentle person. They're gentle. What do you think about sons of boy? They are gentle. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. There's a key to the call of gentleness here that is found in the text. You see, Paul is... (coughs) Paul says, "Let your disposition of gentleness be the marker of your interactions with everyone. Gentleness. When you think about what we've, what we're getting ready to be charged, be anxious for nothing. And think about that person. Think about you." When you are tempted toward anxiety, and you have got the weight of the world and stuff going on, and you are thinking about all of this stuff that has got you worried, and then enter whoever. (laughs) And they come and they bump into you, figuratively speaking. Our disposition, what we struggle against, is a response that is not gentle. struggling with anxiety and worry and we got all of this stuff and that's our focus then all of a sudden enter this person and enter this new challenge and it's like what? Right? Paul says let your gentleness your reasonableness be known to everyone There's going to be an interesting connection that we see down in the very next verse that what others know about us is our gentleness. And there's something that God ought to know from us that is an interesting connection. So put a pin in that and remember that as we continue. There's this key. This is key to being gentle and being in that disposition. And what is it? Look at the verse. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why, Paul? The Lord is at hand. <laughs> I mean, here generally, we're going to get into some kind of details as we unpack this. But like generally speaking, Paul's like, The Lord's in the room with you you ever been in that situation where you're in a conversation with somebody and they're saying something and you're thinking something and your heart is definitely moving in a direction that's probably not good and you're thinking what is the Lord thinking about this conversation right now and he sees everything that I'm thinking and everything that I'm feeling and there's definitely a way that he wants me to respond. I don't know about you, but for the most part, for me, step one is shut thy mouth. Be quiet. <laughs> this feeling that like the Lord's presence. How does he want me to respond to this situation? The Lord is at hand. There's. Kind of two two ways that this phrase can be taken and is sort of um, communicated in the scriptures. Here's one way. The Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming back. Get ready and be ready. This kind of attitude that like the, the church for a long time the theological position on this is like the eminent return of Christ that for 2,000 years after the church was promised why are you staring up in the clouds? This same Jesus is going to return the same way that he left like okay they're just waiting on the Lord to return and he could come back now he could come back right now and that kind of attitude for the church to be just like in this position where the Lord could return at any moment keeps us focused on doing things his way and for his glory. That the master could return at any moment. And those of you with older kids who can leave your kids and go on a date, well, that's pretty awesome. And um, and then there's that like interesting thing where like you know the parents give like okay here's this is what needs to happen the dishes and the whatever right and then you the kids know that mom and dad are coming back and you know maybe they're gonna be hanging out watching TV or doing whatever but like pretty soon that time is rolling around it's like oh man they're coming back we gotta go sleep. That kind of attitude, not in a fearful way, but in a glad expectation way that the Lord is coming back, has been a a heartbeat of the church, that we ought to be thinking about that, that it's not about us and what we're doing, but the Lord of his church is coming for his bride, and we need to be thoughtful of that. James in chapter 5, verse 8 says this, you also, be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's going, he, he's coming. Be ready. Remember, don't forget, he's coming. You've been around the church and sort of christian ease long enough. You've probably heard the term Maranatha. There's even a really cool... Um, uh, christian music brand called maranatha music right and that word maranatha just means our lord come our lord come and it is it's been a right biblical response of the church since its inception since the beginning of the church for the church to not only know that god is coming not only know that jesus is returning But declare in hopeful, glad expectation, Lord, come, Lord, come. Oftentimes the church communicates that when we're going through hard times. When the persecuted church around the world is going through difficult things and they're in the onslaught of very difficult persecution. And it's like, it's hard here. My, my own sin and my own heart is hard, and I'm tired of that, and I'm tired of the persecution, and I'm tired of all the struggles. Lord, come. Would you come back ready for it to be all over and for you to come back and to set up your kingdom and to place everything under your fo- under your foot, and that things on this earth will be right and done according to your will. We look forward to that. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, Paul closes that letter with this. He says, if anyone has no no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And then he says, our Lord, come. In fact, some translations, the Legacy Standard Bible puts it this way. It just says, Maranatha. And the reason is, to give you like too many details here, but the reason is, that is an Aramaic phrase that that was the native tongue of Jesus. And that phrase, Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord, was a phrase that the early church would say as an encouragement to one another. Come, our Lord, come. Come back. We're ready for you to come back. so certainly from our text let our reasonableness or our gentleness be made known to everyone why? because the Lord is at hand the Lord is coming back and we need to be in this position of glad expectation that the Lord is returning But there's another aspect of this phrase the Lord is at hand that I think Probably what Paul is driving at. Though the first is true, this other aspect is probably what he was driving at. That not only is the Lord returning, but the Lord is near. That the Lord is omnipresent. That he is everywhere present. That he is intimately connected with you and your problems and your life and your situation. That he is near. Not that. The Lord is going to come back, and this distant Lord, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, will one day return, and we will be then with him. and That is a wonderful comfort. But also that in our relationship and connection with Jesus, he is ever-present and near. It's a good reason to believe That that is what the Apostle Paul is saying right from the text. Notice the very next verse, verse 6, calls us, rather than allow ourselves to worry and be overtaken by anxiety, Paul directs us to do what? To seek the Lord in prayer. And he he front loads that with, don't be anxious, seek the Lord in prayer. But he front loads out with, he's near. He's right there. Would you talk with him? He's near to you. Would you direct your concerns to him? Don't be anxious. The Lord is right there. Communicate to him, is what he's saying. This is something that the believer can do because the Lord is near us and wants to have that intimate connection with his people. kind of truth that the Apostle Peter communicates in First Peter 5 verse 7 he says cast your worries or cares or anxieties on him why? because he cares for you because he cares for you this reality is absolutely essential in order for us to obey the command Do not be anxious. It's absolutely essential. I mean, often these verses are unfortunately sort of plucked out in isolation, as if it's like there's the anxious believer. And he's standing there, he or she is standing there, staring at this very scary thing, this very scary situation. Like, oh my goodness, they're kind of shaken. And then Paul just sort of like appears from around the corner. and goes, don't worry. Remember to pray. All right, you got this. And like slaps him on the back and then walks off. <laughs> and that could not be further from the truth. But you know what? Sometimes in an effort to help people, we could do that. Oh, thing is scary. Well, I don't know. Well, remember, you're not supposed to be anxious. Commit everything to prayer. Or I'll pray for you. Or <coughs> I'll right, come up, see ya. <laughs> but that's not what Paul's communicating here. When I was um when I was little, um there were these uh these bigger kids who would roll into the neighborhood. And uh, they were like the BMX type and all of my little buddies. We were the skater dudes. I know it's hard to believe, but I was this little skater punk dude, you know, and these older kids would run in come in and they would, you know, they would bully us and they would do whatever, right? We had a struggle with these guys and it was always like, man, are they going to show up at the school and we're trying to skate or whatever? And At some point in all of this, one of my friend's bigger brothers, we'll call him Big John, found out that these older kids, these BMXers would show up and would bully us, skater punks, or him. He found out about that and came with us one time. And was just kind of hanging off to the side and these guys showed up and man, Big John, boom! sprung into action and we went from like we were super scared about these guys and like lived in terror like how oh, should we go to the school today I don't know you know and just always like looking out for these guys to just like fearless because Big John showed up and those dudes scattered gone right that's kind of what Paul is communicating here he front loads don't be anxious don't be consumed with fear he says remember the lord is at hand like what do you he's right there the lord the king the sovereign one the master the supreme authority of all things is with you why why would we be fearful Before Paul gives the command, don't be anxious. He reminds us that our Lord, our defender, our rock is with us. This is the general idea that Paul is communicating in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. He says this, after this long list of things to, to celebrate, he says... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that he was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is. Amen. our whole theme for the book of Ephesians is what? In Christ. In Christ. Like none of those theological things that we believe about salvation mean anything apart from being in Christ. Because that's where we realize all of it. And none of our attempts to battle anxiety and worry mean anything outside of Christ. For the very basis of what we have to defend against those things that would tempt us to anxiety are realized in Christ. As Paul says, not even death. Not even death can shake those who are in Christ ultimately because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus yeah. don't be anxious about anything Paul says This concern and anxiety led the Apostle Paul and Timothy to serve the Lord. I want to draw our attention to just a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28. This is going to be kind of interesting, given everything that we've just talked about. (laughs) Paul says this. He's just going on about all these struggles and all these things that are going on in his life in comparison to these false teachers out there. And in verse 28, he says, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the other churches. (laughs) Is that interesting? like, well, wait a second. Is that the same word, though? That's probably a different word in Greek, right? It's like, Paul's not really anxious. It's like a different word. The same word. Same word that Paul uses over in Philippians. And he says, don't be anxious. To a letter, a letter to the church at Corinth, he says, I'm anxious for the church. <coughs> so we say, like, sinner? Hypocrite? To us, don't be anxious. And you're just like broadcasting your anxiety for the church here's the key the key is that debilitating unbiblical anxiety and worry prevents us from doing anything about it earlier in Philippians chapter 2 Talking about Timothy, beginning in verse 19, just two verses, Philippians 2, 19 and 20. Listen to this. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. He's like, I'm sending this dude, Timothy, man, this guy is awesome. I'm sending him to you, and he's going to be a blessing. He says, so that you too may be cheered by news of you. Verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Concern, worry, anxiety that moves toward action and doing things that are biblical and Christ word and others focused is not what Paul is talking about. He himself struggled with that. This concern and worry led Paul and Timothy and the apostles to be actively pursuing the Lord and ministering to the church. What Paul is addressing in our text is the kind of anxiety and worry that leads to debilitating inactivity as if worry and anxiety will accomplish anything. That kind of anxiety is the end goal of the worrier. There's this thing going on and what they are doing in hopes to change the situation is what worry about it. Oh, I think about it enough and I worry about it enough. Paul's saying, don't don't do that. But in response to seeing things that are going on and being genuinely concerned about it, a right biblical response is activity to be catapulted into action for the benefit of others and the glory of God. This quote from a book called Anxiety Attack by John MacArthur, he writes this, it's so good. He says, Anxiety is, at its core, an inappropriate response in light of the circumstances. Very different from the cares and concerns in life that cause people to attend to business in a responsible way. Stress and pressure instead of being things to avoid, strengthen us to accomplish the challenges God sets before us in life. Like, stress and pressure are good because it reminds us that we need to do something. We need to respond in a certain way. But anxiety and worry that Paul is talking about is seeing that stress and pressure and being debilitated and immovable, inactive. Rather than that inactivity in the face of things that are concerning to us, Paul calls us to action, and very specifically, he calls us to spiritual action. And what is it? Look back at our text again. Verse 6. Rather than debilitating anxiety that is inactive, just worrying, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but instead, in everything, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Remember earlier I said put a pin in that idea that what people ought to know about us is gentleness, and there's an opportunity for us to make known things to God. And isn't that often completely opposite of how we... Deal with worry and anxiety. When we are struggling with worry and anxiety, oftentimes that is what we communicate to everybody. As opposed to a gentleness and a resolve to rest and trust in the Lord. And instead of telling everybody what we're stressed out about, we tell it to who? We communicate that to the Lord. Paul is sort of redirecting. Rather than spewing your anxiety out over everybody and responding and demonstrating that I'm stressed out about stuff and you need to know about it. He says, pull back from that. Allow them to know this about you, that you're gentle. That you are resting and trusting in the Lord. And make all of those requests and all of those anxieties and all of that stuff that is weighing you down, communicate that to the Lord. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Thankful prayer. What Paul is saying is aim all of that at the Lord in prayer, but do it from a place of remembering all of the things that he has already done and all of the ways that he's already blessed you. You come to the Lord in this posture of prayer with a long laundry list of things that you can recognize and remember that he has already done. I tell you what, that puts those things that we're going through into perspective, does it not? Mm -hmm. You just have this long list of things that you're thinking about that you are already thankful for. Not only does it kind of correct the way in which we approach the Lord rather than um, I need this, do this. It is remembering and reminding our own minds and hearts that he has already demonstrated that he is faithful. And he has already done so much for us. God, thank you. Thank you that you're faithful. I mean, and at the, the very front of that list, according to Paul's theology in this section, is what? That the Lord is near. God, you, you have been with me. And you have granted me salvation. You have drawn me out of darkness into your glorious light. I was a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. But you, insert your testimony, but you moved in my life and drew me to this. And this person was so faithful and communicated the gospel. And you granted me salvation. And I'm in Christ. And even if everything... Even if everything is taken away from me, like Job. I'm thankful that I have that biblical perspective that naked I came in the world and naked I go, blessed be the name of the Lord. But I know you. that I'm in you. And you're near. Now here's a challenge. Maybe you've done this and maybe you just need to pull this list out or maybe you haven't done this. But I would say every believer needs to have a a, um, journal, a little scratch piece of paper. Lord willing, it'll be a giant scroll of things that you are able to think through and write out that you ought to be thankful for. How has the Lord blessed you in particular? And think about those things. Think about those things and have those things be part of your prayer life. Thank you, Lord. When Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. He says, that's the kind of attitude in prayer that we ought to have. Of a thankfulness for everything that we have in Him already. And it is not just an attitude of thanks, of thankfulness that is the secret weapon against anxiety. Well, I'm thankful, so then I won't be anxious. No, it's the substance of those things that you're thankful for, namely Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the gospel for believers. That is the substance of our thankfulness. And then... The promise and we're fastly having to cover these last points but what is the promise the peace of God which surpasses all understanding regard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus let me just note this and by no means we're not looking for a show of hands but like if you've lived any even as a believer you've struggled with anxiety If you've had to live life and do things, you've had the temptation toward anxiety. And what is that? Like what happens when you ask somebody who's like really struggling with anxiety, like describe that. It's like, man, my mind is going 100 miles an hour, and I feel like my heart is gonna beat out of my chest. Often oftentimes described as like a panic attack. Like what is it? There's actually physiological things that can be manifesting and coming out of a person that is inwardly struggling with spiritual things. And here's the amazing thing with that. Look at the promise that we have. If we do these things, we we flee from anxiety and inactivity, but actually pursue the Lord spiritually, and we pray with thanksgiving to him and let our request be made known to him. What's the promise to us? That the peace of God, that anxious people know nothing of. But the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it's beyond anything that you can think of. It's beyond anything that you can rationalize. Beyond all understanding will what? Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, man. In the midst of anxiety, that is what people desperately need. And the foundation for that is Christ himself. And then he gives us this this new focus, this new obsession. Rather than obsessing on those things that we're tempted to be anxious about, he gives us this new list to be obsessed about. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So two lists. A list of things that we ought to be thankful for as believers and a list of things that are true and right and honorable and praiseworthy. My challenge to each one here is to write those lists out. Your list of things that you ought to be thankful for. Your list of things that you know by God's word are true and right and worthy of receiving praise. Write those things out, and enjoy the blessing and the secret weapon against anxiety, which is namely thankfulness for all of those things that God has done. Supremely on that list is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Let's pray, Father. We thank you, or thank you for for Christ for our salvation. For those of us who are in Him. We. Have- benefit from knowing that indeed he is near. Help us to remember that. That you are at hand. And that you care about us. That we should be casting our cares upon you. We thank you for the, pr- the, the pressure and the stress that comes to us. That motivates us to activity in a Christ-like, biblical way. Help us to do that. Armed with your word and the grace of God, benefit us, Lord, as we pursue you in prayer and battle the temptation toward anxiety. Benefit benefit us with the blessing of the peace of God that surpasses all, all understanding. understanding. Would you guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus for your glory as we do battle in the world for you and for your kingdom in Christ's name we pray? Amen.